We bring you this special radio television broadcast in order to give you the very latest information on an amazing phenomenon. Just a minute, ladies and gentlemen, I think something is happening. Good evening. I hope you'll excuse me if I appear a trifle excited. We're only interested in one thing. Can you tell a story, Bob? Can you make us laugh? Can you make us cry? Can you make us want to break out? Enjoy us all. We move fast. Can you take it? No matter what you do now, you're still part of everything that's happening. Used to be in silent pictures. Used to be big. I am big. It's the pictures that got small. We need more heart in motion pictures. You know how to whistle, don't you, Steve? Just put your lips together and blow. Listen to me, Hatcher. You gotta tell him. I just wanna say one word to you. Just one word. Are you listening? The Boulevard of Broken Dreams. We're making another movie. This is the one I'll be remembered for. Welcome to the Sword Cinema Podcast. This week we're going to be looking at 2013's Drug War, directed by Johnny Toe and written by, forgive me, Y Kafai, Yao Naihoi, Riker Chan, and Yuji. Here's a clip. Come in. That was a clip from Drug War, uh, again, directed by Johnny Toe. And I am going to try to pronounce these names again. Written by Y Kafai, Yao Naihoi, Riker Chan, and Yuji. Attaboy. How'd I do, fellas? <laughs> only only God can tell us. Yeah, I'll never know. Um, joining me, of course, to talk about this is the choose of the movie, Simon Howell, since you spoke already. Oh, hello. And, of course, Ricky D. What's up, Patrick? What's up, Simon? I'm uh nothing nothing it's it's uh it's it's a beautiful summer day we're here to talk about uh a beautiful uplifting uh uplifting film it kind of was in the end <laughs> I, I'm not gonna say that I wasn't at least a little bit happy um <laughs> you know what I want to know I want to know why Simon Howell chose drug war because everyone I know who's a hardcore huge Johnny toe fan all say they wouldn't even put on their top 10 best movies directed by John Toe. Like, why not Running on Karma? Why not Exiled? Why not Election? Yeah, Election! PTU! Uh, yeah, lots of lots of options. Most of them are movies that I have not seen. This is a movie that I had seen, 
quite a while ago. I think I may have even seen it at Fantasia. It's very possible. Um, and it had always just stuck in my mind as just, you know, one of those movies you, 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 you sort of log as thinking that was a pretty solid genre film. And, you know, we've been talking about, um, you know, uh, we've been talking a lot about a lot, a lot of other action films, other uh, Asian films, crime films, stuff like that. And I think that's that maybe dislodged this movie from my brain and then had it kicking around again. And then I watched it again and I thought, this is like maybe not quite a masterpiece, but it's so fucking good. Um, to my mind, this is this might seem heretical, but uh, I know some people love Michael Mann's Miami Vice, but I think this is like the perfect version of that movie. Wow. I couldn't help but think of Michael Mann too, but more like Heat. A- anyone who likes Michael Mann, um, like '80s thrillers by people like William Friedkin, um, a- anyone who likes you know really stripped down, unsentimental genre movies, this I think is a must watch. Uh, I would also recommend it to fans of The Wire, uh, or e- I- even Breaking Bad, like any kind of um, high stakes, high octane, um, low low moral character uh tale about the drug war i mean obviously it's right there in the title there's so much about this movie that's both in it and outside of it or uh, concerning the production that's super interesting uh but mainly i just think um you know for anyone who uh for anyone i would say like patrick who watches a movie like hard boiled and thinks this is just way too over the top for me uh this movie is almost like an answer uh to hard boiled where it's you know very similar subject matter and you honestly not that different to body count. Um, no, but the, <laughs> but the but the approach and the style and the tone are so patient and so clinical and so professional um, that uh, it's just it's like a totally different cinematic language. Simon, you stole my notes. Ha! The first paragraph, you pretty much highlighted every single point I wanted to like mention. You talked about John Woo. We reviewed Hard Boiled like what two, three weeks ago, mm-hmm. and we talked about how John Woo redefined Hong Kong action cinema in the eighties and nineties with movies like Hard Boiled, The Killer, Bullet in the Head, and so on. Johnny Toe sort of perfected the genre, and I think you're right. I think for people who aren't big fans of John Woo movies, I think they will likely find a lot to love in Johnny Toe movies. I think he infuses his movies with a darker, more realistic edge, even if at times it feels over the top and unrealistic. Specifically this film, like you mentioned clinical, I totally agree, but it's so slick. It's so cool. The cinematography, the colors, the soundtrack, the score. This is the type of action movie you would watch at the fantasia film festival a crime movie that blends the real world with these oddball characters unexpected narrative left turns and it's it just it's just slick like it's 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 not just style over substance but it's very stylish but it's very patient and i feel like it's a mood piece like it's really about the mood the pacing And it's a movie about surveillance. And I like how it takes the sort of quote unquote classic, you know, cops and robbers type of film and finds a way to refresh it for a modern audience. Like, I just love this movie from from start to finish. I watch it twice and I think I like it way more on a second view. And I could not help but think of Breaking Bad and Michael Mann. Mm -hmm. I, I just want to say before Patrick cuts in, 
it is a movie that's heavy on mood and heavy on kind of um, viewers picking up on the vibe or whatever, <clears throat> or whatever. But unlike a lot of other movies for which that is true, the script and the plot are actually quite dense. Uh, and I and maybe I'm just slow or stupid, but I felt like it wasn't until a second viewing that I was really able to enjoy the minutiae of a lot of the scenes where, um, you know, they're orchestrating a conversation, they're orchestrating a deal, uh, they're orchestrating a future bust. Uh, and there's so there's so many little reversals of fortune, things they have to fake, uh, things that they can't fake. Um, and uh, and and also what these situations tell us or may tell us about the people who are participating, um, which the movie keeps very, very close to its chest. You learn very little concrete about these characters. And that's another thing that I love. It has this noirish uh, moral universe where it's kind of up to you to decide uh, who, if anyone, you sympathize with. Uh, and also there's just this power of doom that comes from having the, the death sentence looming over uh, so many of these characters um which again to me felt very noirish you're totally right simon before patrick Hudson, i swear to god really quick when i watched <laughs> it the first time i said i liked it i thought it was a really good movie i rewatched it and i was like wow it's not just good it's great but there's so many little things that i did not pick up on till the second viewing and a lot of it has to do with the way johnny toe directs his cast and the the script itself like there's a lot that's told through visuals and not through language like not through actual dialogue yeah i my, my first impression was like you talked about this being stripped down and it, that especially applies to characters and the screenplay like this is a pretty bare bones screenplay as far as dialogue goes but you're right that it's dense as far as plot goes like you have to pay attention to keep up with what this what is going on there's a lot of duplicity in this uh and especially you know in the end of course um there's twists and turns along the way but you never really know who is on whose side or there were a couple of characters for the entire movie i swore that they were going to be turncoats at some point <laughs> and it never happened but there's a lot of characters doing that and there's just there's a lot of little machinations that these that these cops are are trying to to do in order to to bust these people but if you're going in expecting like i mean rick you said they were oddball characters and there certainly are some but i feel like they're way relegated to the side the really odd ones the mm -hmm. main characters are pretty straightforward and pretty stripped down like you don't really get a sense of who these people are a whole lot especially like you don't get a sense of who they are outside their job you only see how they behave like their actions just define them on the job so it's pretty bare as far as that goes but you're going to be so busy just keeping up with what the hell is going on that <laughs> i'm not sure there really was time for character development uh the characters are more like cogs in the machine and, and uh you know they're driving the plot forward that that's yes. that's their job M many of them turn out to be essentially bodies for the pile <laughs> yeah yeah if you look at the climax like the end of the film it ends with this intense 20 minute shootout sequence in which just about everybody gets shot and killed that scene that sequence is so over the top so crazy that i could not distinguish who was who who's good who's bad who are the criminals who are the cops and i think that's the point like i think that's the point of the film. Oh, absolutely. i don't think johnny toe wants us to really know much about the characters like he's trying to drive in a point here about how both the cops and the criminals 
are blinded by their quote unquote mission. They have blinders on. And I think that prolonged final shootout really showcases how they are so similar and they all have their their flaws. And I really like how it, it ignores the usual heroes versus villains in the finale, the climax of a movie where, you know, the good guys have to win type thing, because really there are no real winners at the end of this no. film. <laughs> So one of the weird the ways that it achieves that is it doesn't do the normal drug thing. You said it doesn't make them heroes because it never shows the effect on the general population that mm-hmm. any of this is having. It's almost like these people are doing this in their own little world and they're achieving absolutely nothing by doing anything here. And so when the ending shootout happens and pretty much everybody goes the way of the bullet, um, there it doesn't feel like anything really happened. You are maybe – I was – actually rooting for at least one of the characters to make it out didn't happen but uh (laughs) but i was i was rooting for timmy oh you're i'm always rooting for timmy oh i love lewis cool so uh, we should also take a moment to step in and here and say that even though that the the characters may not be very well defined at the script level um the movie is really anchored by these two fantastic performances uh, by Louis Koo as Timmy, just mentioned by Ricky, and Sung Hong Lee as Captain Zhang. Mm-hmm. Uh, holy cow. <laughs> They're both so fucking good. Now, did we even mention what the actual movie is about in case anyone hasn't seen it? Well, it's I, it's kind of right there. I mean, I'm not even being flippant when I say it's mostly there in the title. I mean, if you want to get a little more detailed about it, this uh, Louis Koo plays Timmy, who has, I guess you'd call him a middle manager of methamphetamine. Um, he's, you know, he's definitely not at the bottom rung, but he's clearly, there's, there's quite a few rungs above him. He's a producer, Um, right? Isn't that what his basically, Yeah, he's a producer and he knows a bunch of distributors. He's a producer and he has family ties, uh, throughout the industry, shall we say. He would be the Walter White of this world until Walter White became the criminal mastermind. If Walter White committed to a middle, to a middle class, uh, existence, then Yes. yes. He knows uh, big people. I think that's the key. He himself maybe isn't big, but he knows yeah. he has family ties to really big people. Right. So he gets pinched uh, at the start of the film, uh, and is and isn't actually and he's and is comatose essentially for the first fourteen minutes of the film as we get to know the cops and get to know sort of the layout of the case. Uh, and then he comes to. There's some shenanigans, and of course he becomes a police informant because otherwise he will be getting fucking executed. And uh, when they execute people. First of all, we don't have numbers on how many people they execute. Uh, we do know that um, if you, I think if you produce more than 50 grams of meth, uh, you get the needle. And clearly everyone involved in this movie is involved with a lot more than 50 grams of methamphetamine. Uh, so, uh, and yeah, it's also the sort of thing where if, they, if they've caught you, there's no grand jury getting just to getting be clear, a, you're talking about the government, the authorities, the police. Yes, sorry, I should okay. make that clear. I'm talking yeah. about the 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 the, the state. So um, basically, he gets busted, and he needs to cut a deal with the cops because if he doesn't yeah. cut a deal, he's going to get executed. It's and an it, automatic it, death. Penalty. Yes, yeah, it's it's never made completely explicit in the movie, but the threat is very imminent. It's like, implied. He the, he takes it so seriously. It's implied that it's a given. Like he's it, going it's, to get it, the death penalty. It's not only a given, like it will probably happen within the week. Yeah. Like yeah. It'll, it'll be, be fast. That fast. Yep. No appeals for this guy. No appeals process, that's for sure. <laughs> right. And so the captain, he 
he okay so this is what i don't understand though so he was undercover at the start of the film yes because an entire bus load of people were smuggling in heroin or meth that they digested in balloons yes in yes. balloons up their rectum yeah the, the the movie kind of opens with it's uh, disgusting it's it's very gross. Uh, if you've ever seen the movie Maria Full of Grace, you'll be completely prepared for these scenes. Uh, but otherwise, yes, it is. It, there's some poop on the screen. Yeah, it's pretty gross. Like yeah. really gross. Um, but uh, I, 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 because we sort of already mentioned this, I wanted to just really emphasize the uniqueness of this movie in terms of this was Johnny. T I don't know that I don't know if he's worked in Ch in mainland China since, but it was really marketed and packaged as. This is this Hong Kong legend's first movie in China. First action film. Action movie. Yeah, for yeah. yes. Uh and and also all shot and set in mainland China. So there's no I don't think there's a single foot of this movie takes place in Hong Kong. There are lots of uh notably the gangsters and the drug dealers are pretty much all Hong Kong guys. Uh both like played by Hong Kong actors and I think at least once or twice in the script stated to be from Hong Kong. I I do think it's useful for people to have like a little bit more context about some other stuff that's sort of kicking around in in and around this movie, which is that um, it was really marketed and packaged as this is Johnny Toe's foray into making um, you know a, 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 a crime picture, an action film in mainland China, completely set in China um, and shot there with some Chinese actors. Uh, and uh, a few weeks ago, we talked about Black Coal Thin Ice, and this is another case, I think, of movies uh made uh sort of especially crime pictures that sort of um test the limits of what censors will allow um and i think this is a great example of that um and i think one of the reasons he's able to get away with so much in this movie is because uh the cops really are presented as being very i mean clearly many of them are mowed down <laughs> ultimately but they are presented as being very organized uh, very capable, almost supernaturally good actors and like like incredibly good at what they do. Like no cops in reality are this competent or smart. They just aren't. Um, so I think obviously that uh, is is good for them. The the, the film being uh, it's it's perhaps slightly hysterical take on what drugs do to the human body. Uh, also probably helped with censors. I mean, we can talk about uh, how plausible that scene may or may not be. I know it's the sort of source of some dispute. I actually think it's not too bad. Um, but uh, I think I think things like this probably went a long way. Do you remember a few weeks ago I phoned you and I asked you specifically about that scene? You said I you said I need to rewatch the movie to answer your question because I didn't understand why when the detective who's undercover snorts the cocaine he ends up almost dying. Like, was the criminal purposely trying to kill him because he knew he was undercover? Or was it that he just thought he could handle the drugs? So um, there's, to understand that scene, you need to also watch the previous scene. There's a, a what, actually one of my favorite stretches of the movie is there's this twin sequence where we meet the real uh, drug dealer, haha, -ha, um, and then uh, the, the cop who's undercover, Zhang, to get around having to snort some of the product brings his own decoy stuff and kind of like finesses it, which Louis Koo, the criminal is around to watch. So, uh, he, he kind of, so he already kind of knows in advance the next time this happens, he's not going to be able to do that. 
um, because he kind of knows what the other guys like, I suspect. We get to the next sequence, and uh, we also understand, like, he's already made an effort to not snort drugs, so we can kind of infer, based on the fact that he's a cop and the country that he lives in, that he's never done drugs of any kind other than perhaps alcohol. So I, I think it's more about uh, tolerance than poison or any kind of uh, any kind of outside intoxicant making things harder. Right. That that is perfectly clear. But I'm just saying that he suspect that he might be an undercover cop because remember, he taps him twice. Yes. In the oh, I, I mean, I, I definitely. Think, yes. I, think, I don't know that he's that smart that he's actually thinking him to be a, an undercover cop. Possibly the tap meant something. We never really find out if that ever did. Mean no, something. that's true. But, that's one of my favorite things about this movie is you actually will never know. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that guy that that, that that came with the cocaine, and I cannot remember his name um, at the moment, but he also is portrayed later on to be an absolute, like he's blitzed all the time. He's kind of an ass, even within his own organization. I think they um, may have been, uh, this. I, again, I'm not sure if this is made clear, and it might vary based on subs, but um, I think maybe they were snorting heroin also. Yeah, I that, that was my guess that it was not cocaine because they were not acting like they were doing cocaine. Yeah. Um he he and and the way that he acted later on, I mean, he was on another planet. That's not cocaine. That's that's going to be more your heroin. Yeah, but, but they could have been snort, snorting meth for all I know too. I don't know. Yeah, but well they they, they also they make clear several times that these people are running all kinds of drugs. Like yeah. it's not like meth is meth is the the sort is sort of the engine, the plot engine because of the explosion. But they talk about how they're they're shipping around heroin and other shit. Coca- uh, cocaine is mentioned as well. Yeah, I just took it to, to for that that character was kind of a dick, and he was trying to see how you know how much of a a drug lord this guy really was, or something like that. Or he's sort of pushing the envelope because I don't think he really cared. Later on, the way that he behaves during the whole deal going down is very very annoying to the actual drug business people because he's clearly high and he's kind of being a, a dick. So my guess is that he was, that's what I took away from that, that he was just sort of pushing boundaries a little bit because he didn't really care about doing his job all that well. Uh, that whole sequence, uh, actually that whole dual sequence where we get um, where we get Captain Jang in two different guises in pre- pretty rapid fire, uh, incre- great showcase for, uh, for Sun Hong Lee. He's very, very good in those scenes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he does a dead-on ha-ha impersonation, that's for sure. Well, and it's 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 also, I mean, they do this on purpose to, like, show off range or whatever, but he's so dead-eyed in the previous guys that uh, when he suddenly, when they add the, the quirk that, oh, now he's just going to have to spontaneously erupt in laughter every once in a while, it's a very fun performance quirk. Yeah, it's jarring for the, for the viewer at first because you're not used to seeing a guy with personality. The cops do not really have personalities uh, the way that you normally would think of them in a... In a typical hollywood cop movie or even you know most cop movies no their personalities are that they hate crime yes they're machines of the law that's exactly what they are that's what they're there for and like you said they run so efficiently um just incredibly efficiently unrealistically efficiently like you said uh but that's like clockwork almost and that was one of the interesting things about this movie for it being sort of a cops and robbers movie there's very little actual tension i felt until towards the until the end because the cops are so good you they're never really they never really seem to be in danger there are a couple of moments here and there but but toe doesn't really focus on those all that much he doesn't build them up like a typical cop movie would like the elevator scene it's he never really like minds that he doesn't try to put the audience through the ringer well he's not going for tension and i think it's it's important to clarify for people that 
this is sort of an action film. Um, I almost think it's it's honestly as much of a neo-noir as it is an action film. And I, one of the reasons I think that is because it really only has two action sequences, really. Yeah. Uh, it I, had, I was going to say, I don't even consider it an action movie. It just... It's it, kind of like Heat. Heat doesn't have all that much action either. No, I mean, you, I would still consider Heat. At least, I, I think it's safe to call Heat an action movie just based on the fact that it's Michael Mann and there's a decent amount of gunplay. But yes, the actual ratio of gunplay to people talking in rooms is uh, not what you'd expect. I would define a movie as an action film if the climax was a big action sequence and or if the movie revolved around an action scene. So maybe a heist film doesn't have as much action as a Michael Bay, Bad Boys 2 type of film, Mm -hmm. but you could still classify it as an action film. Like when we worked at the video store, we would put all the heist films in the action movie section. We wouldn't put it necessarily in the drama section. I guess one of the ways you could do it is the the plot has moved forward. The dramas move forward by the action, not by the dialogue or the characters. This is not a character-driven movie. This is in a sense, an action-driven movie, even if it doesn't mean that there are gunfights going on. It's it's everything is about what the characters are doing, not necessarily so much what they're who they are, and, yeah, you know, and what they're saying. There are so many similarities to Hard Boiled. Yes, for example, correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't the uncle in Hard Boiled named Uncle Bill also? Oh, isn't, maybe. Plus, there's an undercover cop. Plus. There's the two big shootout sequences, one of which takes place in a factory. Mm-hmm. The yeah, cinematography true. at times feels somewhat similar, like a lot of blues and grays, very cold. Well, and the it, I mean, the main thing that it has in common, I think we can all agree, is sort of the fact that the, the fulcrum of the movie, if there is one, uh, if there's a human one, that is, is but is the relationship between cop and criminal. But it's not like the dynamic is so n- that's that's what makes it obviously not at all like hard boiled is that the dynamic between these two is uh, not not at all like the one in hard boiled. No, this is not buddy cop and criminal. This is even though those other two guys in hard boiled were both cops. This is one guy lording it over the other one for the entire movie, and that's why in the end I kind of was siding with the criminal. I mean, there's no question he's making meth. This is pr- and, and the movie never shows any the, the sort of destruction that his drugs can cause out in the regular population. So you're not really he's not really set up as a bad guy. It's going to depend on you bringing whatever whatever you bring about drugs to the whole deal. Yeah. But as far as the movie, the way the movie is structured, I started to side and sympathize more with the criminal because he's He's the little guy caught in the big system, yeah. and the system is powerful, and the system is forcing him to do things that he doesn't want to do, but he's going along with it because he doesn't want to die. Well, and and crucially, he has the only scene... Wait, wait, I don't want to get into specifics on this. We can do it after the break, but he has the only scene, the one scene in the film where someone gets what you may call backstory and mm-hmm. human dimension and, uh, I would say, even pathos. Um and it comes, I would say, pretty much smack dab in the middle. It's almost a Spielbergian moment, actually. It's a great moment. I was yeah. going to mention that, too. Like, I think there's two reasons why I feel that most people will actually root for Timmy. Because, first of all, you need him to survive for the film to continue. Because he's not the hero, but the movie revolves around his character. If Keanu Reeves' character in Speed dies, the movie's over. If Timmy dies, the movie's over. Mm-hmm. So from 
just the basic rules of how we're trained to watch movies, I think we sort of somewhat have to sort of want Timmy to survive, even if we don't realize it. And then we get that specific scene that Simon's referring to in which we get a bit of backstory when he's talking to the Mute Brothers in the underground factory. And then they decide to burn money, which is a Chinese tradition, but it's not what you're supposed to burn money for, like not the way they do it. So it's it's weird. So, well, th- my understanding is that you're supposed to burn um, replica money, uh, but they don't have any replica money. So they, they burn use real money. money. They yeah. use their real drug money, which I thought was dirt, a fantastic, fantastic choice. Like a yeah. lot, a lot of money. That scene is also enhanced greatly by the Mute Brothers, who I'm sure you know we could mm-hmm. we could talk about or and maybe we'll talk about further. But they yeah. bring a lot of that pathos to that scene, um, even more so than Timmy himself. Yes. Uh, well, it, it, it's also the movie uh, has fun playing with our perception of these characters and what they're capable of. <laughs> Well, oh yeah. I mean, what's what's interesting about having them as characters is we 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 spoke about how Johnny Toe does a fantastic job in directing the movie without relying on dialogue or exposition, right? He tells the story through visuals, through the actors. He's so good at directing the actors. The actors themselves are so good with their physical presence, the way they can let us the audience know what the character is feeling and thinking without using words. But here you have a scene where two of the well, not two Every character except for Timmy can't speak, right? They're mutes. And so they find ways to, I mean, sure, there's sign language, but you know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's just really interesting how he has them sitting around the table, they're eating dinner, and then we get this emotional backstory about Timmy's wife and his, who I think it's, well, his family, basically, who die. And the way it's directed, uh, I don't know. Like, I just thought, like, I don't want to call it the best scene in the movie, but I think it might be um, the best directed when it comes to the way he directs his actors. And I think it might be the most important scene because without it, it's a completely different movie. Maybe I was going to use the word important, but I don't know if I would. uh, Maybe. Well, uh, this is the last thing I I want to say before we cut to break, but. the I thought of another way to explain the difference between this and Hard Boiled to anyone who's only seen Hard Boiled. You know how in Hard Boiled, when people are shooting guns, they're like diving around. They they they're shooting two guns at a time in like while whilst flying through the air, a la Hot Fuzz. Um, whereas I love the way people shoot guns in this movie, which is realistic. Yes, real. I assume real. I've never shot a gun, but it's not but i would say it's even more than realistic like the way that w- w- uh, there's a particular scene where a couple of characters are sort of bobbing and they're they're kind of crossing uh, crossing the frame and they're moving completely in in completely straight lines like npcs in a video game um and uh, and they're shooting completely straight and looking dead forward and it's just completely business like shooting uh and it's perfect yeah it's not necessarily i, I wouldn't say tactically they're always doing the right things but it is it does look very clinical it looks like they're they know what they're doing and that's the important part uh even if you know the the tactics of of the police sometimes aren't very sound and allow the criminals to get away with things that maybe they wouldn't normally get away with in real life the Um, the difference between hard-boiled and drug war is and i love hard-boiled okay i love that movie but hard-boiled is the movie you watch when you're 13 years old and you just fall in love with action movies and you think it's the greatest thing ever. 
Drug War is a movie you watch when you're older and you realize how much better of a director Johnny Toe is and how much better of a movie this is. And you still appreciate and like Hard Boiled, but you realize that it it's just it's it's not it's not on the same level. Like I'm sorry, Drug it's War like is a way it, superior film. It's like a it's like an ice cold Mountain Dew versus a nice glass of scotch on the rocks. I mean, they're okay, both that's harsh, do... Simon. That's harsh. They're doing completely <laughs> different things and aiming for different things. Look, this so... is what, call it like, what did you call it? Like Mountain yeah. Dew? Come on. I like Mountain there, Dew sometimes. There are times when Mountain Dew is the absolute Okay, We're not going to call hard-boiled right Mountain Dew. That is so wrong. <laughs> like, you could have called it like some okay, seven up whiskey. Then. <laughs> what? <laughs> it's definitely a soda pop. There's no question. <laughs> And I love uh, hard boiled. Right. I fucking love hard boiled. <laughs> well, I made it to the end of this movie. I didn't with hard boiled uh, hey. on the rewatch. So I'm gonna I'm gonna give this one a spot above that. Hey. Um, <laughs> all right, we should take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll do our five questions. But before then, here's another clip from Drug War. All right, that was another clip from Johnny Toe's Drug War. We are at the portion of the podcast where we go a little bit more in depth with some with our five questions. Uh, we always like to start off positive, of course, but we haven't really said a whole lot negative about this so far. This is very very strange that we're sort of all agreeing on something here. <laughs> um, <laughs> first question, Simon, what's your favorite scene from Drug War? Oh, favorite scene. The dual, the dual ha-ha's sequence is really good. Um, the sequence where we get uh, that that sort of pivotal, um, pivotal bit of backstory, not revealed. Uh, we we should be, we should be clear that aspect of his character is actually revealed earlier in the film. Hold on a second, you're confusing me. Are you talking about the uh, the hotel sequence? Yes. Yeah, the hotel. That's, that sequence. was the first one. Yeah, it was the first. Yeah, one. where he switches roles between Haha and, and the other guy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. Let me think. Um. Yeah, a lot of a lot of great. Uh, but you know what? If the movie doesn't end with uh, that ridiculous climax, I don't put it on this podcast. Like I just don't. <laughs> and like it's I I I have to I have to give it to the climax. Yeah, I already mentioned how I love how the climax makes the criminals and the cops so similar and you can't distinguish who's who. So I totally agree. It's an amazing scene. And I think yeah, I think it's the, the exclamation mark on what is pretty much like you called the masterpiece. I'm not going to go so far as to call it a masterpiece, but I'm going to call it like one of the best thrillers I've ever seen. What, the thing that I was really marveling at about that sequence the, the last time that I watched it is. Um, I think a lot of times when people make. Um, 
a vehicle in like a vehicle heavy action climaxes that you get a lot of aerial photography and a lot of like wide wide angles and like really getting a view of it and like we get a little bit of that and we get more of it um near the end when the SWAT people show up we only get one one aerial view shot which is from the coffee shop way up at the top of the hotel yeah mostly it's all pretty much ground level stuff and staying at ground level really makes it um uh, grounded in reality well not just grounded in reality but when you've got all those when you've got all those cars bobbing and weaving around each other um with like not a lot of depth of field it's like it's really wild to look at it's yeah um, it's because you can see how close and how far everyone is to each other and also you know like there's an entire school of kids like an entire like yes i, don't know. I love that it happens in front of a preschool it, it, yeah <laughs> but, the, but, but, but you expect the children or someone to get shot but none of the kids actually get shot so it's like what you expect to happen doesn't happen. And, and then you don't expect all the police officers to get shot, but they do. And Fucking the, the most yes. unexpected moment <laughs> is when Timmy is smart enough to jump into the bus with the school kids. Right. So he's using the, sh the school kids and the school bus has cover has sh like sh a shelter as a shield. Right. Cause they're not going to go shoot at him, the cops, because then, then they can accidentally shoot the kids. But then he drives off with the school bus. He stops. He honks the horn to signal to the rest of the criminals to hurry up and jump in the school bus. <laughs> so they run family. towards the school bus. Yeah. And then he drives off, leaving them in the middle of the fucking road <laughs> to get shot by the cops. Or to shoot the cops. And at that point, he doesn't give a shit which. No, then, that was a great move. Yeah. And, if, and, and, and then, you know, again, unexpected narrative twist. At the end of the film, you think everyone's dead, and all of a sudden you notice that the uh, the police officer, the undercover detective, is not actually dead. He's almost dead, but he finds enough energy to handcuff his leg to his body so he can actually escape at the end of the film. But but I also love that, like, and I think this is pretty clear in the movie, having watched it a few times, there is no sense in which, like, if he hadn't been handcuffed to the dead Chang's hand, that he could run away somewhere like he's he's done for even without that it's just, it's more just like one last insult well i mean he, he broke his fingers in order to <laughs> try to get out of that hand those handcuffs he was a, he was a rat doing anything to survive and that's kind of also why you sort of root for him but it was a nice that little betrayal of his family of the other drug lords was a nice little callback to the game the movie when the, the cop uh betrays the criminal that he's with that he'd been posing underground yeah i i think the viewer who 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 hasn't paid attention very well may be very confused near the end when he shoots his godfather in the face <laughs> <laughs> uh, i mean i think that that was my favorite scene as well i do really like the the opening though because that it, it does draw you in really well with a with the, the the truck that's carrying the drugs and there's this car following them and they go through the toll booth and there's something up with the, the woman taking the tolls and um yeah, just the whole way that that's all unveiled. And uh, sh shout out to the two drug mules who spend the entire movie basically driving in circles or getting their asses kicked. <laughs> yeah, just the stupid, <laughs> stupid drug mules. I do have a question for you, though, that we didn't answer the first time around. Those two guys that I thought, they're the two cops from the different province who had been following these yeah. people or from a different station. I was positive they were going to have something to do that those guys weren't really cops or something like that because they never asked for ID or anything. And in the beginning of the movie, she said they 
they look like junkies. She specifically referenced those two guys. And I thought for sure at some point they were going to be like undercover criminals in the, you know, posing as cops. But it never really happened. It, so they were just on the level the no, entire I, time? I, I, I think what the, if I'm remembering the scene correctly, what I think they may have been hinting at again is sort of the, um, because they're they're almost like mirrors of each other, like the 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 two drug mules being followed by these two cops. They're they're both just driving in circles forever and ever. Both kind of no, dopey. What they were trying to say was that they had been following them for so long that they appear to be druggies themselves. Yeah, they're, 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 they've got no piss sleep. in a bottle. And if you notice that uh, once the cops showed the... up, they they had to go pee right away. He says take a break, and the first thing they do is they pull over and pee, which therefore explains that they've been on the road forever and needed a break. No. I... I get all that. I get the literal, what was literally happening. But in, in, a, in a movie sense, just those things usually would be important, right? right? You're, Her you're, saying they you're... look like junkies, it, it's a clue, right? That eventually something is going to happen. Because, of course, I know they're not going to reveal themselves right away. But oh, there's well... these little clues and the way that the, the chief never trusts, the captain never trusts them, really. He has the other guys, his own guys follow them for a little while. I mean, I think um, that uh, I think you're thinking in terms of like the law of economy of characters or whatever. Yeah, uh, which I, I, I don't think. Assumed, this, yeah, that doesn't really apply in mainland China. They were introduced, <laughs> but they don't really have a purpose. And that I find found to be like, I was like, what yeah. the hell is going on with these two guys? But that does keep you on your toes. And that, that, I'm not. That's not a criticism. I yeah. was just sort of. It's just one of those things that this movie does. Like I say, there's a lot of duplicity, and it even messes with our like with the language of movies as we know mm-hmm. them. Well, uh, to we, pull off we, some of that. We we never we never learn if the tapping on the shoulder means anything. We never learn if Timmy actually knew that there was a way for mm-hmm. the mute brothers to. That's escape. a big one, yeah. There's a lot of things we don't know, and I think that's the thing. Like they don't really explain any of these small mysteries. Also, a callback to Hard Boiled early in the film when Timmy tries to escape the hospital. He hides in, and remember, I said this in, in the Hard Boiled podcast, and I didn't know what to call it, and nobody did, the dead body's closet. The mortuary. Right, okay. So, again, similarities to Hard Boiled. That's true. <laughs> well, and I, also, um, I mean, as someone who loves subtlety and symbolism, the fact the fact that, uh, that our, our boy Timmy is hiding in, like, a dead person's closet... <laughs> like within the first 20 minutes kind of indicating uh this doesn't end well for our boy here he's dead yeah he's he's um, he's dead the moment he crashes that car yeah so rick was that i i, I never actually asked you was that your favorite scene as well no no okay. not at all <laughs> what is your favorite scene then? now are you asking me what my favorite scene is or what the best not the scene best is? scene the your favorite we always ask what's your favorite scene from the, okay. the movie my favorite scene is the complex shootout in the drug factory run by deaf people, including the Mute Brothers, because they basically communicate with each other better than the actual police officers who have walkie-talkies and radios and all kinds of high-tech equipment. (laughs) And the fact that they actually kill all the cops and escape. And I love how there's all this gunfire, but they can't hear it. So one guy's in the can, one guy's, I think, sleeping. I can't remember what he was doing. He's watching TV. He's watching TV, and they have no idea what's going on until the bullets start whizzing by. And specifically the guy in the washroom, he they sh- two bullets fly into the washroom, leaving two bullet holes. 
and he looks through the bullet holes to see what's going on outside. And as he pulls back and the camera pulls back, you see him whip out two like handguns. I, I just love that entire sequence. I, <laughs> I, I, and I mean, that that is a sequence where I could not help but think of Breaking Bad. Yeah, but absolutely. I love the sequence because I think those two characters are just I mean, not only are they unlike most characters you see in these type of films, but the actors themselves, they did such a fantastic job. So that is my favorite scene. But I do want to mention the best scene unless you pick it as your favorite scene. So I need to know what your favorite scene is first. Well, I was going to I was going to pick the end scene as well. So then I just sort of also picked the beginning scene as a as sort of an alternative. OK, because I, I don't know. I, I feel like this might be the unsung hero, like the best scene, but everyone overlooks it. And I'm talking about the harbor scene because watching the undercover cop have an entire fishing fleet set sail all at once just to prove that he actually owns all of these ships. To me, that was a sequence that came out of a Scorsese film. Mm. Like that's the kind of sequence that you would see Martin Scorsese like watch. And he's like, he would, you could, you can envision Scorsese watching this movie and wanting to remake it like infernal affairs specifically because of that sequence. You know, that scene, I think uh, Scorsese is a really fun reference point for that because I think it's one of those scenes that is kind of also, uh, it can't help but feel like it's sort of about making a movie like the earlier in the scene uh, earlier in the film. We've had a scene where this drug dealer boasts that he owns all these boats or whatever. We we don't we all and we don't know if that's true. Like we don't we, we have no idea. But we do know that now that he said it, the cops have to do that uh, now because they have complete mastery of reality. Apparently um, they can. But it's very much like putting on a film that's very much like they're they're uh they're creating a narrative for display well they're definitely staging a performance that that was definitely one of the more outlandish moments in the movie even as far as like all the gunfighting stuff goes because that was a lot of ships to coordinate all at once even if you own those ships i'm not exactly positive that you could tell everybody to take off at once I, i'm just not sure that it's technically feasible from the ship's point of view you don't <laughs> you don't want all those things getting in each other's wakes and possibly getting that close to each other and, in a harbor and i think also that's the scene where like you really fully understand that there's nothing that they cannot do yeah they're uh, clearly able to organize everything they want all the time they and, have like an unlimited budget for this yeah stuff. and yet they still all get fucking owned <laughs> <laughs> I know. Well, that's what like Rick. That's what makes your favorite scene, the the warehouse shootout, so great is that it defies complete all expectations of what we've been set up with. Because the cops at this point have not really committed any blunders, mm. and this is their first real big blunder where they they blow it and they completely underestimate these guys. And the and the movie sets these guys up to be kind of you think they're stupid. That's just I I that it's not because they're mute, but they're just the one guy's watching TV like. Like he's brain dead, and the other guy's mm. sitting on the toilet, which is never a sign of a, a you know a highly intelligent character. Um, yeah, they play those characters for laughs until they no longer until the shit hits the fan. Yeah, yeah until the shit hits the fan, and then it's like, no, these motherfuckers can like kick your ass. Yeah, <laughs> they <Yes>. do. <laughs> it's uh, yeah, it's they... it's it's pretty it's pre it's pretty good. I have to say, it's a good choice. Yeah. All right, moving on. Uh, if there was one thing you could change about this film, what would it be, Simon? I'm so sorry, Ricky, but I think the harbor sequence is a little too long just a little too long a little too long it's like five what, minutes what part would you cut out no it's just you know what there's like it's such a tight movie that i uh, th there's something about really tight movies like this where i'm always wondering 
how could we have made you just a little bit tighter? You uh, and, and what, club sequence? And one of those, I don't know. There's just there's a couple of scenes that I think could have been slightly trimmed. But like honestly, there is one thing I was thinking about changing. Uh, like and what it would do. I don't think it would make the movie better, but I think it would make the movie different and interesting. Which is um, when Timmy first gets picked up after the explosion. That's when they first tell us other people died in the explosion, including uh, his wife and her two brothers. But in the scene, he doesn't really give much of a reaction, which is why, even though we're hearing it for the second time, that that other scene lands so much because he's actually demonstrating like genuine human feeling, which he never does uh, elsewhere in the in the movie unless he's pleading for his life. And I nobody I, does. <laughs> I was kind of wondering what would it be like if 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 when we get that the reveal in the sequence with the mute brothers, what if that's the first time we ever hear it at all? Um, and I was just, I was thinking about what about what that would do for the movie. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. The movie's already pretty unsentimental, so maybe uh, shunting it all into one scene would be too much. But it was just a, a little mental game I was playing with myself. I like the, yeah, I like the the reveal without the emotion at the beginning because then it, it makes it doesn't feel like it's cloying when mm. they actually introduce that part, like trying to get you. Oh, he is such a he is a nice guy. He is a human being. You, it, the scene just plays out as it is, but we already knew that information. So then, instead, we just get look to see how everybody reacts to that information. Yeah, I, I definitely get why he did it the way he did it. I, I, I would, I think I would like a chance to see it cut another way, just to see uh, what the effect would be like. But I don't think it's something I'd really change. It's more of a, more of a mental hypothesis. Mm-hmm. Uh, what about you, Rick? I would change Timmy's name. <laughs> you don't like the name? Timmy, yeah, not, not a fan of Timmy. Or Louis Koo, not for this movie, not for this character. Oh, fair enough. Not it. Just his name. What about Tommy? If it was Tommy, would that be our right? No. <laughs> okay. That subtle change actually does a lot. I feel like Tommy would have been a little bit better. What was uh, Tony Lung's name in Hard Boiled? Uh, I don't know. Tony Lung. I just I think of him as Tony Lung. I can't remember what the, what their names were. Uh, I already basically said what I would change. I'm a guy who likes my payoffs. Screenplay-wise, I would have had those two cops from that other province <laughs> be something. Okay, because there's enough. still, like, this little itch in the back of my brain that when I think about this movie, I'm like, oh, those guys never paid off. They but the, but the off. other stuff we never learn for sure doesn't bother you. <laughs> no, it doesn't. I don't mind having some ambiguous things in there. Like, I don't care that the tap, that we don't find that. This was purely from a structure, a screenplay structure point of view, like, why did we introduce these characters <laughs> if they weren't going to pay off? I get it. And again, it wasn't a criticism, but for my own gratification, uh, mm. I want those guys to be something. I don't know what I would do with them. I'm not saying that they would turn out to be exactly what I said that they would, oh, you know, that spe- I thought they were going to be. Speaking of ambiguities and favorite scenes, I know I'm sort of backtracking a bit, but I wanted to spotlight another great moment for of writing and performance in terms of things you can or cannot infer and it's when uh, when Jang ODs um, and you're watching Louis Koo as Timmy reacting to that. And there's so much wonderfully rich ambiguity in there of like, did he think he was going to survive this scene? Was his plan to just see what happened and improvise from there? Uh, was or was this all a complete surprise? And you're and you're just watching him squat there and say nothing and wait about what he should say and when. Um, and it's all it's all internally, and it's all basically just guesswork for us. Mm-hmm. It's good stuff. No question about it. That's a, that's an interesting scene for sure. I wonder how well that method of bringing somebody out of an 
overdose works, but uh, <laughs> probably doesn't similarities hurt. Similarities to, to hard boiled. So hard boiled has all the babies who are in danger. Yeah, that's true. And that's true. this movie has all the children. They're in preschool. Who they're, are in they're danger. some pretty cute kids, I have to say. <laughs> but I don't think this movie has a villain like Mad Dog. No. No, it's there's... like instead of Mad Dog, they have the Mute Brothers. So it would be like the Mute Brothers versus Mad Dog in a video game. Who would win? No. Well, I mean, and this also, uh, we didn't really talk about the politics or ethics of this movie uh, because I think that they're sort of, you kind of have to go digging for them. Uh, but if you're talking about who the villain is, I mean, if the movie has a villain, it's drug laws themselves. Because without the drug laws being what they are, you don't have people manufacturing meth in like dodgy warehouses um because they have to and then there's no explosion and then nothing none of this ever gets kicked kicked into gear in the first place yeah it's hard to say what point of view this movie is really approaching everything from it is very unsentimental it it doesn't take a moral i don't think it has too much moral judgment in here for for anybody but and that's where it really does depend on what you bring to it um I'm I'm really surprised that the main thing that I'm I'm surprised he was able to get away with honestly is just it's completely straightforward depiction of of capital punishment which I don't think I mean I'm not an expert on Chinese cinema but I can't imagine there are too many Chinese films that end with someone being executed considering uh you know there's just not a lot we know about executions in China um it's a really striking it's a really striking uh mo- moment of finality and uh, ricky you were saying when the that when the movie the, like you know when when lewis ku's life ends obviously uh the movie ends and it's it's extremely literal about that like literally his his pulse deadens and the movie ends black yeah it's it's not it's not a triumphant feeling it's not like oh yes we've we've defeated the scourge of evil and drugs it's, it would be interesting to know, though, if the censors allowed it simply because he was a criminal. I mean, that's a way of... It oh, sort of, absolutely. I mean, right. I, I think that's why he was and, able to get away it, with so much. And if they thought, like, yeah, this is a good thing. They're showing... He's showing what happens to yeah. criminals, to drug lords. So Yes. Action, are... action and consequence. Swift judgment. The, but the way it actually comes across on screen is quite... Um, I think it's a little different than maybe they had in mind. At least to us, anyway. And it, dep- it depends on your audience, obviously. Like, who knows what a Chinese audience thought of this? Mm-hmm. But it's it's hard to... <laughs> I don't think he's... He's definitely not making any sort of propaganda movie. That's for sure. But a certain audience could could see that in this if they wanted to. Um, but because it's so open to interpretation, who knows what his audience... You know, what the audience out there, the Chinese audience, would have thought about this. It's just hard to say. Um, all right, so... I don't understand the tagline because, and I know, I know a character says this throughout the film, but it's high risk, high return. Mm-hmm. And it seems to imply that because of the high risk, they get a high return, meaning success, but no one is successful in the movie. So I was kind of confused about the tagline. Uh, well, I mean, it's the, 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 the way that comes up in the film is, you know, they, they have this elaborate pod pod de deux where like, it's at um, the nightclub, right? Yeah, where like that, you know, clearly, like as he's revealed, these seven people are the true, uh, are the true local power at least in in this province, um, and that this Bill guy is just a front, and they have to they have to make the calculation based on how the cops have fucked with them. They don't know that; they just think it's circumstance. Uh, potentially, uh, they have to decide. Okay, we 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 to to finish this, we risk a certain level of exposure that we just do not take. 
but at the end of the day, they're undone by their greed, just like everyone else. And the cops are risking as well. I mean, they're putting themselves in harm's way. So both sides are risking yes. for the for the high payoff, and they both fail. So that's why. Yeah. That, that, that's that's why after after the guy says high risk, high reward, he says after that high reward, high risk, high risk. Yeah. And yeah, they're both doing it. It's not just those guys; it's the cops too, and everybody's putting themselves on the line. And which again is it's kind of funny because it's it's all for essentially nothing. You just never see Completely how it affects nothing, the outside no. world at all. Um, all right, MVP time, guys. Who do you got, Simon? Um, God, I really want to give it to Lewis Koo because uh, he's he's really great, and I think that you need him so much for this movie to work as like an audience member. Um, although apparently, I, worth mentioning, his audio is dubbed. Uh, we haven't mentioned that so far, but his uh, his audio is not the same uh, as everyone else's. Everyone else, I think you're mostly hearing what they really sound like. But I think I'm going to have to give it to, uh, to Sun Hong Lee as Captain Jang. Um, I think it's really tough for me, for the cop to be the standout. But um, I, I think that he... Uh, I, th- I think he really helps complicate our, uh, our relationship to these characters a lot just by holding so much in. Um, and uh, I think he's... If you want to think of him as the antagonist of the film, I think that's perfectly that's perfectly valid, and I think he's a great antagonist in, in that case. Yeah, I don't know if I think of anybody if of anybody really is an antagonist in this, but um, all I know is who I wanted to see <laughs> get wiped out and who I wanted to survive. <laughs> this is a tough one, Rick. Are you ready with your pick? Because I'm not really sure. Well. First of all, I just want to give a big special mention to Xavier Jameau. His percussion-heavy score is amazing, although some of the best scenes in a movie have no score. But when we do hear a score, it's pretty awesome, and it matches the visuals, and it really helps with the pacing. So just mm-hmm. a quick mention to him. Um, the cinematographer, I know he always works with Johnny Toe, so if you've seen a bunch of Johnny Toe films, it's usually this dude, Su Kung Chung. I think that's how you pronounce the name that works with Johnny Toe. But look, I mean, the Meat Brothers are the most memorable characters in a way. Like, I mean, because they're so unique. But I mean, the MVP has got to be Louis Koo. I think his performance is great. And we do get we do get that incredible emotional sequence. Mm. Um, that incredibly emotional scene, I should say. So, yeah, I'm going to pick Louis. I'm such a sucker for like scenes where uh where guys who are like totally stoic and unemotional for almost entire movie just like break down and cry but like with their faces completely unmoving but just like tears stream i love that shit he's very good at that (laughs) very very good at that (laughs) um i i think i'm gonna have to go with not in a cliched way but go with johnny toe because i think a movie like this because there's not a lot of character for me what i had to get attached to was some style mm. you know some some cinema there's loads and, of style here yeah and i think that's what really gets it. we didn't talk about it a ton but i liked all the techniques that he uses I, he knows where to point a camera to make a, a shot look interesting and that's that's enough for me to give any movie a pass and then it just needs something else after that in order to, to really solidify itself um, but yeah, I, I, I like the way he shoots the movie. I like snap zooms. I like anything that you that 
that he does that just directors don't do a whole lot anymore. Um, this it felt like a movie to me. I like that he uses the whole frame really well. Yeah, I, I completely it, know what you mean. Yeah, it's hard to sometimes put that into words, but um, well, and I think it's important for anyone who doesn't know anything about Johnny Toe. Like Johnny Toe doesn't only make crime and action movies. Johnny Toe's made all kinds of movies. He's made romantic comedies and musicals. Um, he's not like, uh, you know, we were talking about John Woo earlier, but he's really not like in terms of, you know, body of work, not the kind of filmmaker. But what he is, is the reason I was talking about people like Michael Mann uh, earlier is that he really just has a low tolerance of, uh, of bullshit when it comes to putting together a story like this. Um, and you, you, you were talking, Patrick, about his visual style. And like he's got loads of style, but it's the style is very, very unobtrusive. Uh, yeah, he, it's he, not like John Woo style where it's clearly that's the point. Yeah, he he uh, he's making it, he makes it look easy, but you know that there's a lot of craft and a lot of experience. I mean, he's 58 when he makes this. He's made a lot of movies, mm-hmm. yeah. and it shows. You could tell you're in the hands of a pro. I mean, that's and that's part of what I why I like watching movies when somebody knows where to put a camera it's always nice when they know what they're doing which you don't get a ton anymore you see a lot of samey looking movies where people seem to be following a formula these days and uh, this is not one of those so it's it's always refreshing to run across that and you know another filmmaker might have been tempted to stuff in love interests and Mm -hmm. b plots and c plots and backstories and all kinds of shit that he just does not care about flashbacks with the wife and showing them in it yes oh yes yeah we never even see the wife Nope. Never even no, maybe you see her legs or something as they're walking through the through the meth lab, but there's a couple of bodies on the floor. One of them could have been her, but they're in suits. <laughs> yeah, so we, we may have seen tell. one of her body parts. That's yeah, exactly. Uh, all right. Howard Hawks test. Three great scenes. No bad ones. I think it seems like it should be a fairly easy. Oh, yeah. Uh, there's no bad scenes in this movie, and there's lots of great stuff. I, I, I three iconic scenes in this yeah. film. We got the shootout for sure. The, the the shootout at the end. I would say maybe even both shootouts if you want. I think sign of like that hotel scene for sure. Um, I think that's great little dual stuff. It, like I said, it's interesting that he didn't use tension as much as he maybe could have, except for maybe during the snorting, mm. the snorting the mess scene. That was probably his highest uh, highest tension. Yeah, I see what you did there. <laughs> Unintentional, but I'll take it. Um, but yeah, any bad ones? Anybody? Not, nothing nothing comes to mind. Yeah, I mean, it, I think that's pretty notable. None of us wanted to cut a scene out of the movie or, or change No, I mean, like, I mean, you, the, I know you... there's so much information being conveyed that there's so little you can take out. Yeah, none of them seem like wastes, that's for sure. And again, that's just this, another sign of being, you know, in the hands of a pro is that none of the yeah. movie feels wasteful at all. He, he's not, he's not, inter- like, I, I don't think the movie's confusing in any way, but it definitely does not hold your hand. And and tell you bunch stuff a bunch of different ways, a bunch of different times. I could definitely see how it benefits from a second viewing. Like Ricky, you said you liked it the first time, and you know I'm sure you're picking up so many subtleties the second time through that it's a much richer experience. Oh yeah. For it, you definitely have to pay very close attention. I mean, I said I like the opening scene, but there's a lot of things you're being introduced to in the opening scene. You're like, wait, what is happening? Who are these people? And there's double crosses, and we haven't even established who our characters are yet. So you're yes. like. You have to pay attention, but it's it's all there, and you, and you can put all it all together in your head 
you know, as the movie's going on, you start to sort of put the puzzle pieces together even from earlier, and that helps you. Yeah, and crucially, there's, like, no plot holes that I can think of. Like, it's really tightly constructed. Yeah, no, I. it all seems to, it moves very quickly. So if there are plot holes, I did not have enough time to pick up on them because I was still trying to make sure that I understood everything that was going on. Uh, which is great. So if you've got any, just keep the audience distracted. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> um, all right. So I, I don't know if the going forward question, you know, is this going to be a, a watched movie or is this going to, you know, has this, well, has this achieved, achieved a cult status? So Rick, you were talking about where this sits in Johnny Toe's repertoire. You were talking with other writers about this on uh, Goombastomp. So here's, here's the thing about drug war. So, Drug War is available on Amazon Prime and a bunch of different places that you can stream it online, but it's on it's Prime. It's free right now on Prime, it's free. yeah. Yeah. So it's also been remade. So th- this was a movie that actually cracked our list of best movies of 2013. So the movie premiered uh, in 2012 in film festivals. A bunch of our staff back at Salmon Site watched it. Uh, everyone loved it. So the fall because we, we would base our list on when it was theatrically released in North America. So I think in 2013, it cracked our top 30 list, whatever. It's one of Johnny Toe's most popular films in a sense that many people have seen it. And I think it's really like from my memory, going back to 2012, it was the movie where a lot of people that I know started taking notice of Johnny Toe. And I think that has a lot to do with the Fantasia Film Festival. Mm-hmm. So a lot of his movies played at Fantasia before, like Sparrow, Vengeance, Mad Detective. But there was just something about Drug War that for whatever reason, everyone just gravitated towards that film. Maybe because it played at a bunch of film festivals, but it was remade in 2018 by in a Korea. South Korean yeah. filmmaker. Which that movie is also called Drug War, or no, it's called Believer, or Believer. Yeah, it has two. Yeah. It's either or. Have, have either of you guys seen that version? So I've seen Believer. So here's the thing, but I don't really remember it very well because it's one of those weeks at Fantasia where I watch like ten movies in like two or three days. A lot of like Asian films, <laughs> you know, it's all kind of like a blur. So I want to revisit Believer, but I don't remember it being this similar like like it's not like when i watched drug war i had like deja vu like mm-hmm. i was like okay i kind of remember this but not really so i uh, need to rewatch believer now my only exposure to believer is having read the full plot synopsis on wikipedia and let me tell you it sounds very different from drug war i'm telling you like because i watched drug war for the first time like a few weeks ago because simon recommended me simon recommended the film and so I thought I was going to get deja vu, but no, it was just like, I, I don't think I've ever seen a movie like this or, you know, so, yeah. I mean, it's definitely, it's not the buzziest Johnny Toe movie. I think that's probably still the election movies. Really? I think PTU is pretty much his fan favorite. Maybe. I mean, I don't know. I, I think it's probably still like mid-ranked and for most people in terms of Johnny Toe, for people who've seen all his stuff, I can't personally speak to that. But I mean, clearly... uh because for me, this... it was a hero never dies. That was my introduction mm. to Johnny Toe, which is like way back in like late 90s. I don't know. I mean, it's pretty clear to me the movie has an audience. It's not very hard to find. Um, Johnny Toe is still I mean, I feel like it's been a, it's been a minute since he made a movie that people were really excited about. But he's still around, still working. He did Chasing Dream uh, a few years ago. 
It's interesting that you said that this is when people first started to take notice, and the guy was 58 when he made this movie, <laughs> and it presumably made tons of movies before this. But I'm talking about, like, mainstream, like, North American audience, because, okay, so, like, 2012, okay, so, like, think about it, okay, roughly end of the 90s, like, 99, 2000s, when we started getting, like, movie blogs pop up on the internet, like, Ain't of Cool News, for example, and then it was like around 2005, we started getting some real cool shit, like cinematical. And then, the, you know, we'd have like the independent ones like Slash Film and Collider before it got bought over and whatever, all these do, all these like film publications. And it was roughly like, again, another, add another five years, 2010. I remember because the Sound and Sight, we started only really producing a lot of film reviews in 2008, 2009. Like 2007, 2008, we were basically just doing the podcast. And we were like, I think like one of the first uh, publications to really cover the Fantasia Film Festival, like no joke. And so this movie came out in what, 2010 or 12? I can't remember. Uh, uh, 12, 13. 13. Yeah. So, so like roughly you're, you're, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at like 2010 is when we started getting a lot of like movie blogs that started producing a lot of content about Hong Kong cinema, Asian cinema, South Korean cinema, et cetera, et cetera. And then, so when you get to 2012, it became like this thing and everybody wanted to watch all of these movies. So I think that is why. Plus the internet uh, that makes made sense. it more available. Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, I, I think we're talking helpful. specifically about like a Canadian North American content. Like, yeah. That's what I'm saying. States yep. North American. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. I watched like hard boiled at Fantasia and I remember we used to have like the DVDs at like movie land, but I, I honestly think it was only around 2010 when it really started to like break out. Like all, we started getting more and more and more of these films. They did really start to flood in uh, on DVD at that time. I seem to remember. Mm-hmm. Hard boiled was around. I mean, I don't even know how I, I saw hard boiled, but I saw that movie in high school. So it, it 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 made it like this was before blogs were a thing. Nobody yeah, was really going. I remember, like time. I said, I had to get it in Chinatown. It was like a big thing because it was just one of those films that I, it, it became popular because of word of mouth. Like one person yeah. saw it and just kind of like spread the word. Yep, I had well, a friend and, who and, just said, "You got to see this movie." And people like Tarantino big upping it for sure. Yeah, for sure. And Reservoir Dogs came out in '92, so Hard Boiled came out in what '92, '93. I can't remember. 92 is the same year, yeah. Something like that, yeah. Um, all right. Well, we should probably wrap things up, guys. Um, Simon, any changes online? Uh, nope, I'm not around. Um, right now, this movie is available on uh, on Prime. Um, go watch it if any of this has tempted you, and uh, that's it for me. Yeah, Um I'll continue to, to put out a review here and there for, uh, for Goomba Stomp when I can get my hands on a screener. Um, other than that, I am not online at all. Rick, where can people find you and the website on, online? You can find the podcast over at sortedcinema.com, the Twitter handle Sorted Cinema. You can find the podcast just about everywhere from Spotify to YouTube to Amazon to iTunes. It's everywhere, but sortedcinema.com for all of the episodes and goombastomp.com, tiltmagazine.net. I mean, whatever, sirdesinema.com, you'll find us. All right, that'll do it for this week. Next week, we're going to be back with a 1970s conspiracy thriller, The Parallax View. We'll see you then.